Let's begin now. I woke up this morning and I said, you know, instead of waiting for a good day to happen, you know, waiting around through ups and downs, you know, I, I just said, look. going on everyone it is episode five of breath of fresh life podcast this is uh or actually no i'll introduce ourselves first um i'm garrett hayden and i'm joined by andrew lyden and brenna keith on this uh fine really beautiful day uh on wednesday july 15th 2020 um how, how are you guys doing I said before we started this, but this is my first podcast in the new house, so I'm pretty excited. Yeah, snaps for that. Feeling very grateful to be here. Excited to be back with you two in long form discussion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've been we've been away for about two weeks. Um, you know, we've had about two weeks to think about kind of our our part one discussion about. Um, race, privilege, and Black Lives Matter. So uh, today we're kind of continuing that conversation um, with with part two. You know, I thought that while it was important for us to have a conversation about this topic, I felt that, you know, given kind of the current climate of things, it made sense to continue the conversation into kind of a longer thing. So that's kind of why we're doing um, a part two. Um, I will also say before we get going that, you know, this conversation you know, will continue and will continue, I think, in, in other interviews or just any other episodes that we talk about. I think that it's, you know, important enough that we, you know, get a lot of mileage out of it. Um, so kind of, you know, as we start this kind of part two, it is kind of curious to get all of our kind of consciousness and kind of where our heads are at um, in terms of maybe anything that's changed in the last two weeks. I mean, I feel like for me, the only thing that's changed is like information continues to roll in, right? Sure. So it's like sitting on what we talked about and like thinking about and, you know, all these articles, but then it's like things are still continuing to happen even while we're like digesting what we are trying to digest, you know, like it's, it's a never ending stream. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the one thing where like after our conversation, I felt really good actually. Like I was like, that was a really nice conversation I got what I wanted to get out like I don't know it was really open and cool but then afterwards I like saw something else and I was like oh man I'd talk about that or like oh man man that's another thing that would be a good example like a a lot happens every single day and I think that's my biggest takeaway was like we did a good job but you're right it doesn't stop because it literally never stops Hmm. yeah I, I agree I think one thing that in reflection of the conversation that we had is that just the omnipresence of these issues that you look at um, injustices in America or things like that, and it is legitimately everywhere. It's how much time can you devote to looking at things and 
how can you frame it and ask the right questions where you get there. Um, and like you said, the information that comes in in this period is staggering uh, and it's just so important to sit with it and uh, effectively take it in and getting on good links and taking this opportunity to really you know, educate ourselves. Um, and like you said, having a platform like this podcast, being able to discuss it mm-hmm. uh, at length, to ask questions, to go back and forth with one another. Uh, it's pretty special that we can we have this opportunity. And like you said, that it can continue to evolve and, and take shape throughout um, the Breath of Fresh Life podcast in the United States uh, and in the world, that it can continue to um, have its rightful uh, place in the world. You know, Black Lives Matter is just really at the forefront. Um, hoping that will continue and that we can continue to, you know, be a vehicle of progress. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, we talked about this on part one, but I think I kind of wanted to explore it just a little bit more as to kind of things that we are doing to try to address this problem, whether that's participating in, in protests, um, you know, whether it's reading things, you know, getting, you know, I just feel like all three of us really are kind of getting bombarded with a lot of information that I think all three of us, you know, are taking in and kind of doing our best with it. Um, so I guess I kind of wanted to continue that conversation as to like things that you are maybe specific things even that you're learning about or, you know, documentaries that you've watched or movies or, or books or, you know, anything of that, of that sort. Um, so that's kind of where I wanted to start, start this this episode um and then we can you know jump into other stuff too (laughs) and actually i was just thinking um so my i i literally cracked open the book so you so you want to talk about race Mm. Uh, i i don't want to butcher her name but it's like a beautiful name um she (laughs) i'm like going through it i cracked the first couple pages i like it so far i get home and I was digging through the stuff from the move that I just started putting things away, put the book down, and I found the same exact book. So if either of you wants a copy of it to read along with me, it is for free. It is a really good book. I told you before I saw her speak. She's amazing. Um, but I have a second book. So I was actually I was going to say that before. If you want it, let me know. I'll drop it off. Okay. Wow. Yes. Good to know. Yes. <laughs> That's so kind. But also with that, just like the first couple pages of it, it does talk about how before you start this conversation, you really have to check your own privilege. And I think that's like, I think since I've put that book down, I've been noticing more and more and I've been trying to be more active on it. That like checking my privilege on like, I have access to these things and I can feel, you know, like grateful for having access to the education that I had, the you know, the privilege that I had in this world with my skin color and like all these things is that I need to be aware of it. And I think after reading that portion of the book and putting it down, I think I've really taken the time to do that. So I think that's one thing that I would just say, like looking through these articles where like it starts out with make sure you're in the right mental space for this or like make sure you're able to absorb this information. I think I'm really taking that to heart and and I feel stronger discussing these things because of it. So I think that's like, I haven't been able to do a ton because of the move, but that was the one thing I've been kind of working on that I would love to just like share out there in the world is that do it at your own pace, but at a social justice pace, right? right? So it's like, make sure it continues. And I know it's going to feel awful, but like you still have to do these things 
and like having taken the time to do it feels so much more powerful when I actually read it. So that was just like the one thing I really wanted to share was like, for sure. take that space for yourself. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's really good counsel. Thank you, Brenna. Um, yeah, as far as just uh, just general education, I am somebody, I think like many who uh, watching a documentary sometimes or um, a speech or a TED Talk or something like that might be an easier way for me to digest something versus the long-form book. Um, so mm -hmm. I did in short term, I'm talking like the first four to five days where I didn't have as many hours, uh, just working full-time, things like that, uh, 13 uh, on Netflix, a few other things. Uh, and now I'm getting to reading, which I think is definitely something where you can really sit with a, a, a topic and devote 300, 400 pages to it. So uh, I spoke with a lot of people. Uh, the new Jim Crow is something that uh, my girlfriend Daisy and I decided to read with one another. Um, so we, we began doing that. And the density of the book and uh, how much, it's a way I can say it, like how much just data and background um, the author presents as far as uh, issues pertaining to mass incarceration, um, just the, like, just so many, like the school, the prison pipeline, all those things. And like really coming from such an analytical perspective, um, I would, you know, I would recommend it as I am, you know, only about 70 pages into it. Um, but I'm still working through it. Still very grateful that I got my hands on all the things that I have. And like you said, still continuing to educate myself, which is, um, continuously putting in the time. Uh, Brent, I think you're on mute. <laughs> Sorry. <That's okay. laughs> um, I was on mute. Might be. Um, wait, so you say analytical with that book, and our brains are, like, very different. So I'm wondering, like, is this a book that I could pick up and, like, sit with? I... I like more, or it's easier for me to understand, like, stories and examples and things like that. So, like, analytical doesn't make me think that I would, would, is this a book I could pick up and read? Yeah, so de that's a really great question. So, analytical, not to the point where it's like, um, the, the, the author specifically said, I also do not know the author's name, which I apologize. The author legitimately was like, I'm not going to make this a book where it's um, super, um, academic where I'm trying to prove something like just hammer you with raw data which is like what you need to do I guess in that field like to get um, like proofs and like very academic-y it's meant for the masses uh, but there is to that point though a ton of data uh, not so much I think that it would deter the uh, a reader that might not gravitate towards that to um, it wouldn't I don't think it'd be a deterrent that's a really good question okay Good. That's what that's what I get worried with with some of these things. Is like my brain is not numbers and data like even remotely. So that that's good then. Okay. Yeah, um, Andrew. I think much like you, I think that for me, it's shoot. I literally just forgot my train of thought. Um, what were you talking about? Oh man, wow. That's that's really embarrassing. But I'll get to like. Another point, I think for me at least, kind of being able to watch things and kind of visually be able to take things in, I think to me is a lot more helpful to kind of get me be, be aware of certain things. So like watching 13th, 
you know, back when I first watched it, was first watched it was eye opening to me. I never thought about some of the things that they brought up. Um, and actually, recently, um, I think it was, I think it was the weekend of the fourth. I watched it once again, you know, just to kind of go back and, and rewatch it. And it's like, wow, it still is really just mind blowing. And you know, especially the the whole thing about, and you know, this goes back to kind of our first episode when we're talking about slavery is the fact that you know the the prison system kind of gives you know the kind of gives america the right or not exactly but like to treat people that are incarcerated as like not not human beings that like if you're convicted of a felony you're not allowed to vote and it's like basically you know stripping away someone's you know freedom and you know the fact that and someone brought this up as kind of the the hypocrisy that like our country is all about you know second chances that you know if you do something wrong you do the time and you come out of prison like you should be able to you know re-enter society and it's like people that commit a felony you know come out of prison and like they have to bring attention to it like when they apply for jobs they have to say you know yes i've been conv convicted of a felony and it's like for those people, it's like they can't move on in their life. And it's like, that just, you know, blows my mind. And it makes me really upset that like, we really haven't come that far as a country that like, we still essentially treat people like slaves. And, you know, more often than not, it's, you know, black people that are incarcerated at far higher rates. And it's just, you know, just kind of is just something crazy to me. Um, and then another documentary that I watched on Hulu um, it was LA 92. And this is a really fascinating film about the, the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles um, in 1992. Um, so Rodney King obviously was beaten by four or five white police officers. And there's a trial that you know, is moved from Los Angeles, moved from Los Angeles County to like kind of a, a white suburb and shocker, you know, all the cops, you know, get off and are, you know, not guilty. And it's like, then, you know, following that there are riots all over Los Angeles and it's probably like the craziest thing I've ever seen. And it's like, what's crazy to me was watching that is, there are a lot of very similar things to the riots that were going on a few months ago. You know, it's like, it looks very similar. I mean, obviously the 92 riots are absolutely way worse, but it like, it looks very similar. And it's just like, I know that there's been, I think that the trial for the officers that were, you know, charged in the George Floyd killing, um, that like I'm I saw something maybe it was a few weeks ago that there's a possibility that they might move the you know move the the trial to like a different a different area and it's just like holy cow like the the similarities between that and Rodney King just like started you know it just was like really hard for me because it's like holy cow are we gonna do this again is this going to happen again? And it's like, I'll tell you, and I don't mean to sound, you know, crazy or anything like that, but like, if, if something like this, if it happened, if something happens like it did back then, it could be way, way worse. 
and we could have it could, it could like I don't even want to imagine that so you know those two documentaries really kind of you know I, I, helped me in a way that like helped me understand certain things and helped me understand things better you know I always had known about Rodney King and known who he was but like I never had any idea about you know the trial being moved or you know how bad some of those riots really were so um it just was really, really eye-opening for me watching those two, two documentaries. But also, can I just say you're not crazy at all? Okay. <laughs> you said, like, I don't want to sound crazy, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is 100% a reality that we live in. And I, there's, that's not insane. Mm-hmm. So, I actually kind of, it's not really a question, or, well, actually, it probably is a question. So both of you guys have participated in, in protests. Um, can you just like describe for me what that what that's like from like any like literally anything you can give? I'm just very curious what, what that was like for both of you guys. Yeah. I mean I didn't go to a, a walking marching protest. Mine okay. was more of like a speaker's, so I know that's different than what Drew did. So okay. just different point of view anyway, but um yeah no when I went I mean it was cool when I went because we were just all down near it was in Worcester right at the right near city hall and people were getting together there was a station where people had water bottles there was a station where they had like blank sign permanent markers and you could write whatever you wanted um and then really just people standing around and listening to people speak and it was it was very powerful. Like I get goosebumps thinking about it now. Like I, I, the number of times I almost cried was like way too many to count. Um, I think that's like my, the most powerful thing for me about the protests, like in general, even watching them, like listening to the speakers who come on and then like, even while listening, checking myself, right? Like there was one guy jumped in and he wasn't on the lineup to speak. And it like, initially I felt like angry that he was up there like why like they're trying to move things along they're trying to get these people up here who need to speak and as he's telling his story about how he got arrested in New York City and he was a black man and he's in the elevator to go up to get arraigned and the guy like stopped the elevator and it was like this insane story just sounded absolutely heart-wrenching and awful and then like the minute he got to that part of his story I felt like such an asshole thinking get this guy off the stage because his story is just as powerful so I feel like I don't know I think protests are like a beautiful place to listen to learn to hear and and for me it was a place to check myself again that just because someone isn't speaking as eloquently as the other speakers that came up you know in this organized event is another reason why like I need to be aware of what the fuck I'm thinking in my head you know like I think that was a huge thing for me and his story was like one of the most powerful ones I heard that day and he wasn't even on the lineup. So I think it was just for me, the powerful voices that you can hear was like, I will, they they like go through my mind all the time. But Drew, I know you marched. So that was probably totally different. Yes. Yes. The, the March and then one very, very similar to the one which you kind of spoke on. And, um, different in the way where it was um, <clears throat> with a marching component and things like that. Um, 
very similar in the way where people were um, what, the first one very highly organized, um, ex speaker at X time, um, orchestrated, had things that they wanted to ask for within Boston, learned a ton, learned a ton. Um, that, I mean, I, can't, I don't know the number, but I mean, thousands of thousands of people. Um, yeah, I'll never forget that day for as long as I live. Second one, we had um, a microphone, lots of people um, kind of get up and speak your piece, if you would, and um, you know, 20 to 30 people spoke their piece, um, spoke their story, their, their, um, their truth, and um, vastly different, um, two of them, but very similar in the way where um, a lot of love, a lot of honesty, um, and something that I'm just very grateful to have seen in person, learned a lot and, you know, want to pass, you know, those messages along for sure where I can. Well, I think, I think, I think that's, that's beautiful that both of you had, I think, you know, experiences where, you know, Brenna, you went and listened to people speaking, Andrew, you actually physically marched. I think actually it's great that both of you guys did different things so that, you know, people can kind of get different perspectives about both of those things. Um, and to be clear, you know, people that have seen on social media, there are protests still going on. You know, I know that, you know, for some reason, you know, well, we kind of know the reason why the media has just kind of stopped showing protests, you know, because maybe it's, you know, convenient now, but it's like, they're still going on. You know, this movement is still going on, whether people see it, you know, all over Twitter or not, like, you know, I think that that's really powerful that things are still going on. You know, I kind of wish that we could have, you know, we could maintain that type of energy, but, you know, obviously the world is the way that it is. It's not the easiest thing to keep things going, but I think it's, it's great to see that there are protests all around the world that are still going on. I think I saw that there was a protest in, in, in England or, you know, one of those countries in that area that there was a, a march and it's like, it's, it's, it's great to see that, but I think, you know, at a certain point, we kind of got to move from protest into actual policy. And I know that that is way easier said than done, but I think to try to move in that direction would be, would be great, but it is great that we still have protests going on. I still want to make that perfectly clear that I think that that's really important and so important to this movement right now. That actually makes me think, have you seen, um, how in like a lot of different places they're painting um, on the street, like on a street in a big major city, like Black Lives Matter, massive. Yeah. Um, they actually, the Worcester just painted um, massive, like a downtown city-ish area. I'm not quite sure where, but um, all that those, like they're really, really nice. It's nice symbolism, right? Like it, it's nice yeah. to see. It's nice to know that your city supports you at least verbally. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like, I mean, we have the platform, Not why not put it out there, that there will not be change until there's systemic change. And I think yeah. that these are nice visuals to see that some people do care, but until policy matches yeah. the, what you're painting on the streets, it's not going to mean shit. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm swearing a lot right now. I don't know don't why worry. I'm just feeling fired up. <laughs> but 
that's just like like what you're saying like I love that and I'm hearing it and I'm like yes but just to bring it back if anyone out there listens like policy has to match what you're saying you can't just say that you know whoever is considered a human being until your policy matches that and the justice system matches that and our society alters itself you know but I think that's the one thing that's kind of killing me is like to see that symbolism, but not see it backed up in actual change. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's how they're just kind of like placating our society is like, here you go. We do care. But it's like, I, I want to make sure that like, we know this, and that everyone else knows this is like that fight can't stop. Like you're right. Protests are still going on because there's not actual change yet. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned the, you know, painting the the streets. Like I was just watching the news just now, and I think that I saw somewhere in in Boston where they had that Black Lives Matter painted on painted on the street. Um, so I think um, moving from maybe you know things that we are are doing or have done or you know are currently doing to help. Um, one thing that, you know, we weren't really able to get to a lot last uh, last episode uh, was talking about privilege and, and white privilege and, you know, talking about what that means and how we as white people benefit from it and, you know, what we can do to try to change, to try to change those things, try to change, you know, our mindset and try to be mindful of, of these things. Um, so when I bring that up to any of you guys have a specific point about privilege that you're really kind of dug into and that you like really want to really want to share i mean i'm not i don't know i think the one thing that i've been learning more about which i actually didn't really know too much about um before was that um there's a lot of people who like like yes we are white we have our own privilege right but then on top of it it's like just being light-skinned is its own form of privilege, which I guess I, I didn't even know. Mm. Like, in, in the black community, like, if you depending on how light your skin or how dark your skin is, your privilege also changes, sure. which, like, I, I don't know. I didn't know that. I didn't, didn't even think about it, to be completely honest, yeah. like, the specific tint or shade or anything like that. I think that was one thing, actually, I just learned the other day. I watched, uh, you know, like, 14-minute, like, video on and it was just like discussion of the physical skin tone and then how you style your hair was another thing Mm. that I also did not even remotely think about so like box braids braids if you have you know your hair and you pick it out into an afro versus having straight hair like many white men do white women do like I don't know it was a very it was a really interesting article and a video attached with it that I learned a lot about that but I'm I wish actually that I dug a little bit more into like white skin tone privilege just because I know that that goes across the board, Mm -hmm. but it it was interesting to get kind of in that area of like, even within the black community, there's certain privileges that white people aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I said on the last podcast, um, just to, to dive more into like just the meat of the world, which is being like a uh, straight white male who's six foot two like it just affords me so many just bias, uh, biases in life that um, just 
through no merit of my own affords me a lot of protection and um, you know opportunity that others would not get. Yeah, that would that would kind of sum up um, like to me what it what it, what um, at least white privilege like um, at least how it directly like comes forth to me I think like professionally and then just day to day like the things that I might worry about would just be uh, drastically less than others as it pertains to my safety or um, maybe things like that that's kind of the two biggest ones for me at yeah. least from my analysis of it yeah yeah absolutely um, I think just in, in general and this is probably something I shared on, on the first um, part of this but I just think like more people, white people need to be aware of their privilege and realize that, you know, people that don't look like you don't have the same um, advantages. And I know I talked about this, that oftentimes you hear that people of color mention that they have to work twice as hard. And that I, was something I know that we talked about last time. Um, but I just think I feel that a lot of white people, when they hear the term white privilege, they immediately get defensive and are like, wait, you know, I don't, I, I don't benefit from that. Like, what are you talking about? And it's like, literally every white person does, whether you like know it or not, you know? So I just, you know, wish that people wouldn't be so defensive when terms like that get brought up. And I know that we kind of talked about, you know, the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter thing. And it's like, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's not to be like, oh, you're white privilege, like you're a bad person. But it's like, I think you need to be aware that you do benefit from being white and you can't control it, but it's like, you kind of got to be aware of it. I think it's interesting too, that there's like privilege within privilege, right? Yeah. Like even, even within that category, like we're all white, we're three white people. Yeah. But then like, if we were to put ourselves in a hierarchy, we don't fall on the same levels, right? Oh, like, absolutely, yeah. Woman, y'all are men, like yeah. there, there's different levels to it. And I think that's so interesting too, is like, we can be aware of it, but then depending on where we fall within it, we feel different ways. So like there's sure. so many white people who are like in a low socioeconomic situation where they're on, you know, poor, they're getting welfare checks and they're right. like, I didn't benefit from this, but it's like at the end of the day, you are still benefiting from being white. Yeah. Like there are still hundreds of ways that you benefit over your like black people who are in the same situation as you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think people have a hard time seeing is they take their struggles or the things that were hard for them and they pretend that that negates privilege. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just doesn't like we, as we look more into it, we know that, but I think that's like what I'm finding to be the hardest is like people are like, well, I'm white and I grew up poor. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, did you get arrested walking down the street yeah. buying candy? You know, like, were you shot in the back? No. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the difference. Right. But yeah. that's, I think to me, one of the craziest things that's really bubbling up yeah. is people like unwillingness to see that or yeah. to listen really. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's something that, you know, bringing that, bringing up that, you know, 
you might be privileged in one way, but you might not be in another way. So like me personally, I have, I have a disability. I've been living with a disability, you know, since I was three, four years old. And, you know, I might not be privileged in the way that, you know, most people that are, that are abled, you know, or, or able-bodied, I guess, for, for lack of a better term, like people like that, I, or I, I'm not privileged in that way, but I'm privileged from, you know, being white and being able to kind of have access to certain things that maybe people of color wouldn't, you know, I know, you know, maybe this is not totally right, but, you know, I have the luxury of having access to high quality healthcare. You know, I'm able to see seven, eight different like specialists for, you know, certain things. And, you know, me being kind of a, a, a wealthy white person, I have access to these things. And I know that there are a lot of people that, you know, are black and have disabilities. And so they may not have the same type of, of access to that. Um, so, you know, I think I definitely benefit from that. I think that that's one area of privilege that definitely I, I benefit from. I mean, that's, I, I'm right there with you, right? Like I'm white, but I'm a gay woman. Right. So that's my own separate thing, right? But then mm -hmm. I don't present physically as being gay. So that's a privilege I have even within my own community. Mm -hmm. That, like, when I'm out with my partner, who, like, would be more of a stereotypical, like, what people would term, like, a gay woman. Right. People know that I'm gay, right? But when mm -hmm. I'm out by myself, men buy me drinks, like, all the time. And it's like, okay, well, not all the mm -hmm. time. I'm not that, I don't have a big head. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, Has a man bought me drinks when I'm by myself? Yes. <laughs> sure. But that's the thing is, like, that's a privilege within itself, yeah. right? Like, I'm not getting kicked out of a club and getting called, like, a dunk and all these offensive words, but, like, that has happened to my partner. And that's, mm. like, it's a privilege in itself. And mm. being a black gay woman, I mean, would be a black gay trans woman. Those are all, like, levels within the same thing. That It's all so different, and it's, like... How do you check your privilege but know that you don't have all of the privilege mm -hmm. but still need to check yourself and know that you, you know, it's it, sometimes it makes me feel kind of dirty, like I'm putting myself in a hierarchy. But at the same time, I feel like that's part of my process to know that I have no right to complain about things because I have this certain privilege or like I'm benefiting in this way, shape or form. So I, I feel like it's hard. I don't know. I guess that's I'm just now realizing that like the labeling of privilege is very difficult to sit with hmm. when you don't fall at one side or the other, right? Or the fact that there's just like <clears throat> always having to label and place a hierarchy of things is like legitimately like the white man was just like, you know what? We're superior to everybody else. Like that's literally the root of like all of these problems is them seeing themselves as just innately because of the color of one's skin um, that they could like just create this system and no one thought anything of it. That just, I mean, that's so baffling. And look at the centuries of backlash from it. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Centuries and centuries hmm. and centuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is honestly such a, a wild concept that kind of doesn't really make sense. Um, 
Sorry, one thing that just to add in, this is one thing I said. If I've said this before, I apologize. This is one thing I said in a college classroom a while ago. And it was like you look at all the injustices in the world and like you look back at the 1830s and you're like, oh, obviously that's so wrong. Slavery is so wrong. We should never have had that. And if I was in that time, I would have said something. And I think daily about the things that go on day to day, um, such as like the things are like at the border or homelessness and things like that. That I know that I'm not directly. I know that I'm not like the person that's like, hey, Andrew, make the decision on all these things. I, I understand that. However, to live in a time where I can't uh, cleanly identify or figure out ways to. Um, solve some of the things that are directly in front of us and honestly like like this movement finding a way to get it to policy you look at all these things and you're like hey well, this is a really big part about how my uh, life will be remembered and, like how will I contribute to this I think um, I think that's a question that I always grapple with hmm. I feel like you've always grappled with that question just in yeah. every part of your life <laughs> like not even just this movement but just everything Yes, before I die. I feel like sometimes when, like, when we start to think about or think about and talk about these things, my brain starts to connect all these dots that, like, I know are connected. People have told me are connected, right? But like we mentioned one thing and then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh yeah, well that reminds me of this. And then also, Hey, the prison to pipeline system or the education to pipe prison pipeline. And then, Hey, let's jump in. And like, we're also talking about like having enough money and being in poverty. And I'm like, Oh, that also has everything to do with it. And then it's like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes at the end of the day, I'm like every single one of these things is connected and we need to literally like break down our society to create this new one that we, all would like to be a part of and it's like how do we how do we do that and obviously like i know we've been saying like who knows i don't know i'm i'm brenna i'm a special ed teacher at a high school i don't know how to fix these things it's important that we're aware of them but like how long have we known that our justice system is broken and it just stays broken mm-hmm. like part of me is kind of down like what is it gonna take to change an entire society and their systems that they operate on. And I think that's one thing that I'm not letting get me down, like to where I think it's it's impossible for us to fix it. But it is like, I I do keep coming back to all of this is connected. How are we going to change it? How can we change it? What are the options? Right. And it's like, I love reading about the different options, like changing our society completely, abolishing, who knows how many forms of government or different branches of our government, but I don't know. I think it just, it's interesting to keep coming back to the fact where it's like, these, this is just rooted in how our society was literally created. How do we go back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's wild that you mentioned the connection thing, because I know me, me as a person, I try to be as, you know, sympathetic and empathetic to people that, you know, I try, I think now me as an adult, I try not to kind of jump into things, you know, right as I read it, or, you know, if there's like an online conversation, I kind of take a step back first before I jump right in. And that's something, you know, I kind of had a problem with when when I was younger that like, I would just kind of look at something and go right in and not even think about it. But I think 
as I've grown older, I've kind of learned to take a step back. Um, I just think that in terms of a, 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 like how all these things are connected, I think it really all just comes back to being empathetic for another human being that might be different than you. And I just feel like in so many areas of society, we kind of lack that ability to just, you know, empathize with, with other people and empathize that our struggles or, you know, their struggles are not our struggles, but we can still recognize that as, you know, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being crazy, but like, I just wish that it, it was so much easier for people just to be kind of empathetic. And I think that that kind of, you know, I'm curious to see as to what changes in the next, you know, few years in terms of policy, do we get certain things passed? And I think, you know, it, really kind of comes down to to voting i think voting has a lot to do with you know how we can change things and voting for you know people or policies that we feel can you know improve things and i think what we can do now is to educate people and be like register to vote and read up on these issues make sure that you're well versed so that you know who and what you're voting for um one other kind of random point i wanted to bring up is um you know, rethinking how we're doing certain, you know, government things and like branches of government. Um, and I know last week we talked about kind of defunding the police and something that I've, I've been thinking about for weeks is that a lot of people become kind of not really sure when you say defund the police. But I think to think about it in kind of a bigger concept that like we need to rethink policing in general in this whole country that it's like it's not it's kind of defunding the, the, the construct of, of policing instead of being like, you know, just kind of what it is at face value. But I think we just need to rethink how we do these things and how, you know, this can actually, I think, help police that like they're not going to, you know, hopefully the idea is they're not going to be involved to have to solve every single thing that they get called into, whether it's you know, someone's having a mental health breakdown or there's other things that they are just not equipped to handle. And you can bring in other people that are well-versed and it might actually be a good thing, but too many people are just like, oh no, that's a bad idea. And don't even, don't, don't even listen to what the actual, what, what people are sharing. Um, and maybe those two things are connected, the empathy and just kind of refusing to, you know, re refusing to listen to people that might have, you know, a different way of thinking. Perhaps. I think, I think empathy is something that our country lacks when it wants to move forward in its eyes. So like a lot of people, I, th I mean, I personally think, and that's not to put on anyone else, but I personally think that the American dream the idea of the American dream, the idea of being able to be born here, move here, whatever, and fight tooth and nail to succeed plays a big role into our lack of empathy. Because we can say that we have the American at the end of the day, there's like 500 other things that go into what you need to actually achieve that dream. And if you don't meet a through X, you only meet Z, 
it's not going to work for you. And so people become ruthless. They say, oh, well, it's the American dream. you got to fight for it. And then at, at that point, people stop becoming people. I mean, that's just like in my own brain what I see. It's not to put it on anyone else. I just feel like there are ways that we can fight to get what we want, like together as a whole country or the whole group of people, like whatever. But I think that at some level there's a lack of empathy and people don't care because you can say like, Oh, well, yeah, because it's the American dream or like, Oh yeah, because we're fighting for what he believes in. And it's like, we hold that so much higher than anything else where it's like, yeah, but he may be doing that for who knows why, but he's killing thousands of people in the process. And don't we care about that? Hmm. You know? And I think that's where, I find a lot of people are just lacking is that they just don't care what it means as long as they're successful. Hmm. I think it goes back to that idea between, or that idea of individualism versus collectivism. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot about um, the people we don't hear from um, when they're doing the polls, the presidential polls, um, as you, as you talk about, um, you know, what do we believe in? Do we believe in the American dream? Do we believe in the thousands of other factors, which um, we knew before this, but have even more, you know, have come to light and things like that of how imbalanced the country is. And we think about that silent um, group of lower socioeconomic white people um, in their various regions of the world. And I think that, um, do they believe too much into the American dream? Perhaps, probably. I think more so. Uh, if you were to ask me as a person, and I'm only doing this just breaking up what I think of at first, I think at my core, I want to make sure that I protect and feed my family. And I feel like this lower socioeconomic class sees the way lower class, pe- not lower class, people of color or um, just like the people that are the government or the world has placed as the, the people that are really getting beat up by the system. And they go, wow, I'm only a quarter step under these people. And if I elect the people to be that continually to place these people at the bottom, I will not be at the bottom because Lord knows being at the bottom of the American system is to get targeted, beat up, this, that, and the third. So I think that they believe in the American dream, probably, but they're also telling themselves that so they can support anything that tells a story that will not allow them to be the, like we're talking about ordering things, to be at the absolute bottom. And I think that it's a lack of empathy, it's a lack of education, but it's also a real fear that we all know that being at the bottom of the American system is one of the toughest places to be. And furthermore, the American system is made for the elite to remain for the elite. It talks about these very fancy things such as freedom and things like that, but it doesn't deliver that. We live in a social contract. We have a social contract with the government. The social contract is doing phenomenally well for people who make millions of dollars, who live on yachts. However, like Brenna said, what can we do? I know that you talked about abolishing and things like that, but how do we effectively do that? How do we get into that? And there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of things that I think, but it doesn't really matter what I think because you know, I only have one vote in Massachusetts, but um, <laughs> I wonder what those things are. I wonder what those things are. Um, if you were to ask Andrew Lyde, and I would say, you know, we brought it to defund police. We have to get 
a lot more uh, representation in government. We have to um, be very diligent about people's voting records and hold them accountable for, like you said, what are their actions, where do they vote. I think that'd be a really good step. Um, but truthfully, you know, I don't know. But that'd be my upshot of it. Sure. It's totally a societal contract. I like how you said that. That's very, that hit, right? Like that hit hard because it's true. Yeah. It's, and honestly, like, the, doesn't the Hunger Games just like scream at the back of your brain? Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. And I like, you know, have yeah. seen one of those movies maybe. But still, like, well aware. Yeah, totally. And, like, how fucked is that? Is that our system literally reminds us of a system where the poorest of the poor are forced to kill each other so that the elite can survive with entertainment. Right. right. And the, the, like, the best, the, the number one tier thing, get the best training, get everything. So it looks like it's the egalitarian, like, the best person comes out. But in reality, they have way more supplies and way more things. Mm -hmm. All the resources, all the support. Hmm. There's a lot of meat on that bone, Brenna. Right? Oh, yeah, seriously. (laughs) Jeez. Are there any other, like, areas of privilege that we think would be worth talking about or something that, like, you're been you're kind of chomping at the bit to talk about. I feel like I've loosely touched on this, but there is just that one piece of it, just because like, this is more, I think directly related and like, I might, I might have missed it in the episode before, but just like sexuality is its own form of privilege. Mm. And I think it should be said mm-hmm. and like out there. Totally. That, like, sexuality mixed with then your race is a completely different form of privilege too that's just one thing i think that people should be aware of and people should think about is like we all come from different places we're all different people but like we do have similarities and sexuality is one of them in certain categories but i just think it's kind of like can be brushed over as someone who is a gay woman i do feel that sexuality as a privilege can be brushed over and I just think that it's something that's important to talk about because for me, like, I have a lot of friends who are gay, but I have more friends who are people of color that come out later in life because they don't feel secure to come out at a younger age. And I just think that's something that's important to note and be aware of is that that also falls on that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. It, it totally does. And I think it's like, something that people don't think about because they kind of don't want to think about, you know, and it's kind of wild, like that whole topic of, I think, sexuality just to some people is, I, 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 don't, I don't want to say taboo, but it, it, almost, it almost is, you know, people just are very uncomfortable talking about it, but it's like, if we're comfortable talking about, you know, white privilege and privileges in every other area, we have to be comfortable talking about it in a, in you know a, a sexuality way of way of thinking. Definitely, I just I don't know. I think it's a, it's good to have on your radar, and I think this is also something that is a whole conversation in itself. So it'd be interesting to delve in in a different episode. But yeah, totally. I just, I've been thinking about it, and I did want to bring it up because 
it is even in like tv shows that represent like lgbtq yeah like even in those literal episodes the representation is so lacking and it's like the literal pride movement was started by a black trans woman so like the fact that that representation is still not in mainstream media or in the in any of society where we actually see it is really i would say offensive just for me, like knowing now totally. where my history of like representation came from, it sucks that it's not even being represented properly. Hmm. But yeah. yeah, I think that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Loosely tied into that would be like a, a lot of actors and actresses playing um, like a white uh, like actor playing, like I, I, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, for sure. Um, how that is being pointed out and like people with fresh eyes are like, like how in the world is that happening? Hmm. Yeah. Representation in television or in just in media is so important. Yeah. When people see it's what is taught as the norm or not taught, but like that's what is enforced when you spend thousands of hours watching TV. I think that's a really good point, Brenna. You know, you know, honestly, who really brought that to my attention was um, Sabrina. Sabrina, our friend Sabrina. She's talking about like, um, um, like, not having shows that she could watch where the main character was in a wheelchair, and she was like, "Yeah, like, like, think about that." I'm like, I just never thought about that. Like, yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. That's very true. Yeah. And, and even then, I guess there's that whole other level of it too, right? Is like, we're starting to see representation, but it's still white representation in these other categories. Like, like if like presenting as someone who has a disability, like a, what movies that we see with people who have those disabilities, they're not people who actually are in a wheelchair, who actually have mm-hmm. that yeah, you know, right. right. Like, it's not being played by a character or an actor who genuinely could play that position because it's their life right Right. i I will add in that like when when i when i think of tv shows that come to mind in terms of having characters that have disabilities the first thing i can think of is breaking bad with um the son who i think has cerebral palsy but i don't know if he is disabled in 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 real life i know that he obviously plays an actor um that, that has a disability. I just, I'd be very curious to see if he actually has a disability. Um, you know, but it's like, I, I agree that like the representation is like, you know, you could probably count, count on your hand how many characters that maybe you've seen in TV shows that have um, disabilities. And, you know, I've not watched every single TV show, so obviously I can't really speak on that. But um, I guess I'd be curious, like, if there's a percentage there of like characters that have um disabilities and you know obviously they're you know under underrepresented i think and then within that how many of those characters or people are people of color right yeah exactly and that's like exactly what you said earlier right like you know that there are people who are people yeah. of color who have you know who have disabilities who yeah. utilize wheelchairs and it's like where are they mm-hmm. right yeah, these people exist in real life, so you might as well have them represented, you know, in in media or stuff that you watch. 
What did you say, Andrew? Just like so very much so, like in abundance. Like yeah. thousands of thousands of people. Yeah. Um, I think it's like wild when, you know, before I came to Arrowhead, like I really didn't have a lot of interactions with people with disabilities. And, you know, it was almost like, whoa, am I in this kind of big minority of like, you know, are there many people that have disabilities? And then I got to Arrowhead and like my head exploded, like, whoa, there is a humongous population of people that have disabilities and not just, you know, physical disabilities that you can look and see, okay, this person has a disability, but you know, the cognitive and intellectual disabilities and it kind of in a beautiful way opened my mind that, okay, like there is a pretty big chunk of people um, and just, you know, an arrowhead probably just is a conversation for another day in terms of, you know, me and my disability, but it just was kind of a, a cool, like beautiful thing that, okay, you know, there are plenty of people that are like me. And I think it kind of helped me in terms of, you know, thinking about my disability, because when I was younger, it was definitely something that was hard for me. And I got, you know, upset a lot of times. Um, but then coming to Arrowhead was like, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm not alone in this. I wonder, Garrett, if you could draw any, like, similarities between, like, your experience um, and, like, a person of color's experience who, like, is seeing a lot of the things that we're reading now right. for, like, the first time. I wonder if it's, like, a similar experience, you know, like, holy shit, like, I'm not alone. Holy shit, there are all these other things going on that yeah. could, like you know, just expand your mind and your experience. Yeah. And that's just so incredible. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm, yeah, no. I'll be honest. Like, I think that there are even issues in the dis disabled community that I'm probably not very well versed in. You know, I think it's like, I kind of do have to do my own research as to, you know, thinking about, you know, my own population, I, I guess you could say, um, so I definitely like that's something that I, you know, would like to work on in terms of, you know, educating myself and just, you know, all, all of this, I guess. Well, one thing when, when we're talking about representation on television specifically, I think about like space, like just the, the thought of space and like the email that I use, like, like through path, or, like path to inclusion. And a lot of that is like, Brenna and like a lot of people who are incredible at Arrowhead are working in like inclusive classrooms and things like that. And with Arrowhead, you know, that is off route now. Like that is in a really secluded area. When we go up to New Hampshire, we have like a hundred acres to ourselves that is completely away from the public eye. And that allows us to have so much fun, to have space to do slip and slides, to do all these great things. However, it's not seen by the public. And I did Arrowhead because I felt like it was a beautiful thing to do. I kept it to myself because you don't want to be just like virtue signaling like, oh, look at me. I'm such a great person. However, uh, not taking that into a more public space is something that I um, wish I did more. You know, I took Dougie to Natakai. We would spend a bunch of times just around the classrooms. I know a lot of campers would come to my games and things like that when I played and participated in the competitions. That was great, but there still could have been more. And I think that it's not television, but like just genuinely getting, uh, you know, individuals with special needs like into just the public eye. And right. I think like 
ESPN's like broadcasting um, the Special Olympics, things like that. It's like yes, like that to me is like huge progress. And even for me as running the marathon, like posting and like really publicly doing that, like is something that I was very conscious about doing. I'm like, this is who I am. This is very much within my life mission statement. This is the space I believe, you know, if I can champion anything is like putting individuals with special needs into a more public light. Um, I think that's so important. Not to just go off on a tangent. Yeah. Agreed. I think it's great that, you know, we went off in a different conversation. Um, but I think, you know, Camp Arrowhead and kind of disabilities and just kind of that whole umbrella is definitely, you know, worthy of a conversation for, you know, another time that we can definitely, you know, come back to it. Um, I think just getting back to the, the, the race conversation um, and a lot of things that I think or a, a lot of ways that I think people realize that maybe they, you know, say or do certain things that, you know, they've never thought about. And, oh, that could be looked at as, you know, being of- offensive to someone. So I think having us talk about microaggressions, I think, is really important because that's something that, you know, I've definitely learned a lot about in this movement that, oh, okay. Here are some things that I've definitely said or done, and here are ways that I can be better and, you know, stop using certain terms or stop, you know, doing certain things and kind of being more aware of, you know, these things that, that do come up. Um, are there any, any thoughts there for either of you guys? A lot of thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of thoughts. Yeah. I think... I think microaggressions are like wild in the sense that you can beat someone who is aware of all of these things, but you could still put forth like microaggressions like wherever you are and 100%. not be fully aware that you are because to you, you're aware of these things, so you're not racist and you don't think whatever. But like there was one day actually that I remember having like a deep conversation with someone. And it was about, um, I just read this thing about microaggressions, literally. And it was saying how you, you looked at someone who's like a black person and you were to say like, oh, wow, like you're so eloquent or like you speak so well. And like that in itself, to me, I'm like, yeah, that's a compliment. But as I continued to read and as we discussed it after, it was like, if you're telling someone who is a person of color and saying that to them, that's insinuating in the back of your mind and their mind that you're surprised they sound educated because of the color of their skin. And that to me was like, rocked me to my core. So I shared it. And then the person that I shared it with, who I thought would be very open to the discussion, we went back and forth like really hard. And it was like, okay, it took me a while to kind of sit on it, think about it and be like, oh my God, you're right. But them, it took me like pushing them really hard to really think about it. And because it does sound a compliment right like it sounds like you know, it's really good right. but at the end of the day it has a negative connotation behind it and that's what's offensive that's the aggression that you're putting into it it doesn't matter how you meant it because like yeah i could look at either one of you and be like wow you sound so eloquent when you talk and you take it as a compliment but for anyone else it can be so freaking insulting and i just mm-hmm. never thought about it like that that was like a really big one and it took me a long time working through that with that person for us to both agree and see it 
how it how it really is. Which I'm I'm glad that there are resources like that out there. Like the it was the um the conscious kid, the one I follow on Instagram. I think I told you about him. Like so many, it was like a string of microaggressions. But that was the one where I was like, why is this one bad? And then mm-hmm. I had to sit on it. But whew. yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely agree. I think I definitely went through the same exact thing with that same exact phrase. And, you know, like even even recently, it's like something that I even kind of struggled to to understand. But I think now it's fair to say that, you know, I can see how that can be, you know, kind of offensive in a way where, yeah, you're insinuating that a person cannot, you know, speak well or whatever it is well because of the color of their skin. So um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, Brenna, because I feel like I went through the same exact thing um, also. And, w- and with the microaggression just specifically, because there's a lot of nuance to it and there's underlying things, right. uh, I have seen, like you said on Instagram, like a full laundry list of things which would um, you know, be characterized as microaggressions. And for me, seeing those tangible examples and then um, also going through the checklist and saying like, have I said this and what scenario did I say this? And just like, just taking in that information and, um, learning from it moving forward. Um, that right there is like, <clears throat> like first off, someone compiles that list. And, um, if I say it, I, you know, if, if I see it and I go, okay, I've, yeah, I've definitely, okay. Yeah. I've done that. That's really good to know. Great to learn from. If they're putting it on a list, that means that's happening, you know, in so many places. Um, thousands of people and yet they're like the politically correct culture like everyone's just getting soft this that and the third and it's like why would you take a big brush stroke and just say people are getting soft versus being like wow like people really want to feel um on a basic level respected i can read these things and like figure out where i could be a better human like where all right just real quick, where is like the toughness of like being soft? Like that's one thing that I just hate is like the idea that like just specifically within like uh, just being a man is like being like against softness or like the political correctness. Like it's just not – that is so whack to me. Yeah, like, absolutely. It, like um, I don't want to take too much time on this point but it's like – the ideas and concepts of what it means to be a man, especially like a tough man is like just not correct in our society. I firmly believe that. Um, especially in the sense where it's like, you have to be like against, um, like being politically correct or just being like fundamentally respectful to each other. I very much wholeheartedly disagree with that. Yeah. I could not agree more with you, um, Andrew. And I think like there's, yeah, there's the idea that like, you know, as a man, you're not allowed to be kind of emotionally vulnerable. You're not allowed to like say, I love you. And it's like, I say, I love you to so many, you know, different, you know, males that I have relationships with. And it's like, damn, is there really uh, like, oh, you know, you're soft for acting like that. And it's like, I mean, yeah, I just, I don't understand where that comes from. Yeah. That whole thing just is like bananas to me. I it's like totally agree. We live in a toxic male patriarchy and men like to pretend to make the rules. <laughs> yeah. 
and how much of it honestly ties back to um, like you mentioned earlier, sexuality. Hmm. Say like just say like the I love you, the I love you. Seriously, why would you not want to say I love you to another man because it would be characterized as gay? Yeah, <laughs> you know, sexuality is a spectrum, and when you feel feelings that are not either yes or no, you attack because you feel vulnerable because toxic masculinity is a thing. This is a whole oh boy. This is a whole conversation. For sure. Let's, the next one, let's chat sexuality because I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's time. <laughs> Glad you said that. It's a teaser for the next episode. Oh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm like, all right, boys, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> on next week's episode, Brenna goes in on toxic masculinity. <laughs> That actually, I know I've, I don't know if I've said this on here, but like my favorite murder is my favorite podcast in the world. Yeah, and they have this quote that was like, "Toxic masculinity ruins the party again," and like it's all I want imprinted on everything that I own. And there was a hat I asked for it for Christmas. Santa didn't come through. We'll see. But it literally it was like a hat. It just said, "Toxic masculinity ruins the party again." <laughs> I was like, yes, I love it. I'm here. For mm. it. Which I'll preface with, you boys do not have that, in my opinion, because you can both say I love you to other men, so. <laughs> and I've trained you well, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything more. I mean, like, I feel like we will have more things to say on this later. But, like, right now, I have nothing, like, screaming out of my brain mm-hmm. to continue, you know? Because I feel like we've, I don't know. What are you, what do you boys think? I was thinking the same thing, Brendan. Did I have anything else that I really felt like I wanted to at this moment say? I, I not on, I feel like we covered so many things. Um, but, no, not at this time. Yeah. Um, I think, we, and maybe we talked about this in the first part, but... Um, I think just the idea of, of growth as human beings, you know, I think kind of has a lot to do with microaggressions and like how we can kind of grow and okay, we can recognize that, okay, maybe I've, you know, said something or, you know, done something previously, but how can I grow from that? How can I identify, okay, I was wrong here, but how can I kind of grow and be better where like, I don't, you know, use a term that maybe could be considered a microaggression and try to, you know, use an, an, another term or, you know, think a certain way. Um, just like that, that whole idea is very, very interesting to me. I mean, that, that also reminds me vaguely, though, of like, it's, it's just use of terminology, right? Like, it's things that you can actively take, be aware of, and move forward with, which is hard. We can't yeah. pretend like that's not hard, right? Like, I will own this. It is not the same in any way, shape, or form. But when I was in middle school, using the R word was, like, very a regular thing, a normal thing in everyone's vernacular. And I used that word. Like, I used it to describe things that were weird, things that were bad, like, who knows what. Mm-hmm. And then I started working with Arrowhead. I met people who were like, that term is offensive to me. And I cold turkey stopped using it. But then 
words like crazy. I've been trying really hard to not use that word to describe things because there are people who are medically diagnosed as being crazy and it could be offensive to them. Sure. Or using like, hey guys, when it's a group of males and females is another weird thing that I'm becoming very aware of that I'm trying to get away from, right? And I'm not that good at it, but I'm working on it. And like as a teacher, I want to address the room as like, hey everyone, hey y'all, like that encompasses every single person in the room instead of guys and girls, right? Hmm. These are all things that I slip up on every day, but that I, every time I say it, am like, ah! and then I try and work on it from next time. Like, I have gotten so much better at not saying guys, like, addressing a group of people, and that's something I'm very proud of. But it's taken me a really, really, really long time, and I'm nowhere near it, Right. I think that there are some people that it's going to take them a long time, but if they're willing to own it and say, like, shit, you're right. No, I'm sorry, my bad, and change the wording, that is huge because for so long, everything was okay to say, right? Like, there was no bad word. Anyone can say any word because we're all people. All that fun, stupid stuff. Hmm. But, like, at the end of the day, there are words that are offensive to certain people and we have to eventually change them. That's hard. But if you don't actively try and change it, you're a part of the problem and you are only making it worse for other people. Like like white people who sing along with songs and use the N-word in the songs, you are just as big a part of the problem as someone who calls someone who is a person of color that to their face. Mm-hmm. You're just as bad, in my eyes. Again, that's very persecut- persecutorial, whatever, but like still... We have to make active changes to change those things, like like you were saying, Garrett. Yeah. I just think it's – people can say that it's hard to do, like to use they, them instead of he, his, or she, her. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me like two months of a summer to really work hard on it because I had two friends who used those pronouns, and I was just getting used to it. It's the first people I've ever met, and it's easy now. Yeah. It took me two months, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what people are pretending like it's so hard to change but it's like it's really not as long as there are replacement words yeah like you know yeah. Yeah. as long as there's a replacement i don't see why people can have such an issue with it yeah i think especially the the guys thing i think i am absolutely someone that still kind of struggles with it i kind of catch myself to be like okay let's say folks let's say y'all let's say you know something else um, and I'm still working on it. That's something that I absolutely am still working on. Like, for example, when I, when I open up podcasts, even, I'm not even sure if I opened this one and said, Hey guys, I probably did, you know, but it's like, I got to think that, okay, let's say, Hey folks, say, Hey y'all, you know, y'all might sound weird because maybe I'm not from the South, but like, you know, yeah. Trying to like be aware of using different words. And I think it was yesterday it was like non-binary day and there was something that i saw about you know different different words that you can use instead of you know the typical ones and you know guys folks was kind of maybe was maybe was like the top of that list um and it's like wow you know here are some things that i try to say but here are some other things that i you know not even thought about so i'm so glad that you said that i'm so glad that you said that thank you garrett um yeah, and I think, like, sometimes, you know, when I go back to that growth thing, it's hard for us to admit that, yeah, you know, we have said certain things or we've acted certain ways, but then kind of recognizing where we're wrong in that 
you know, trying to trying to change that. Um, one story that I kind of meant to share last week and has been something that I've thought about in this whole consciousness of, you know, microaggressions and, you know, thinking about privilege and such. When I was, I want to say, I want to say it was maybe late middle, late middle school years, I did scorekeeping for like a summer baseball team. Um, and so we traveled to different, you know, towns in Massachusetts, you know, Ashland, Hopkinton, Natick, all over the place. Um, and there was a, a couple games, I think, that we had a game in West Roxbury. And I remember I was so scared and I did not want to go to the game because I had this assumption that, you know, <laughs> West Roxbury was kind of maybe a, a dangerous part. And it's something that I've kind of been embarrassed about because it's like, why the hell did I ever think that way? But it's like, it's, it's hard for me to talk about because it's like, I kind of can't believe that I, that I thought that way. And I kind of, you know, got really uneasy and it's like, well, I don't want to go to this game. I'm really kind of nervous, but you know, it ended up obviously being fine, but it was like, it's something that I've thought about for years. And I'm like, why did I, why did I react like that? Um, and there have even been other moments kind of later in life. Like I remember, um, when I went to Springfield and we had to go to kind of a, a like head of like a, a transportation company and the, the, the office, the office was in downtown Springfield in a very kind of lower socioeconomic neighborhood. And I remember going there and I was felt very nervous because I was surrounded by a lot of people of color and it was something that, you know, made me uncomfortable, but I've thought about it for years and like, why did I feel that way? And I think like, it's hard for me to talk about, but at the same time, if I'm trying to improve the way that I'm thinking, I think that that's really important and trying to trying to grow as a person and try to, if I ever, you know, am in the same situation, how can I react differently to be like, okay, I don't need to feel, you know, worried or concerned or, or any of that. So, um, just always been something that, that I've, I've thought about. Actually, I've that might be a whole thing that I I don't know if I've ever fully thought about or looked at before, and it would be interesting too to think from like Sudbury in comparison to Native, like how we viewed other towns and why we viewed them that way. Mm-hmm. Because I always operated off of what other people said about them, right? Like, oh, they're really tough. It's really scary going there. Like, right. it's um, what would be low. Well, like, oh, it's a ghetto over there. Like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. People use that like freely yeah and i never really put thought into that and how it would correspond with a a town that has a stronger population of people of color yeah yeah and i also just think like that whole thought process that i had is deep rooted in assumptions of like criminal activity like if you go to a neighborhood or you know the way that i thought about it back then was like you go to a neighborhood with a lot of people of color, there's going to be kind of higher crime rates. And like, I don't know why I thought that way. Like now that I think about it, like that's bananas. Like, why did I think like that? But it's like, it's just something kind of interesting to, to, to think about. Well, you thought like that because that's what media and society told you to think. Right. But 100%, I, I honestly didn't put too much thought into how I view other towns in this area. 
this right now. Um, one other thing that I was very, that I'm kind of very curious about, um, I'm not sure if this is a microaggression, actually, you know, probably is, but the idea where people use statements like, oh, like, I'm not racist because I have a black friend. I'm not homophobic because I have, you know, a, a friend who's gay. And it's one of those things that like, I don't, I don't think that I've ever said that. Maybe I have, but that whole idea is very interesting to me that like people kind of use that as a defense mechanism. If you call them racist or you call them, you know, what, whatever, and people are quick to be defensive. Oh, you know, I have a black friend. I can't be racist. And it's like, I think like as a white person and, you know, knowing me myself, I try not to be, or try to be as anti-racist as I can, but like, I don't think I can even say like, because I have a black friend, I'm not racist. And it's like, there are still ways that like, we can't, we can be racist in the way, the way that we think and the things that we say. And, um, just kind of is interesting because I've heard that from people on social media and I've heard that from people, people that I know. Well, that's, I mean, like if to put it into like a comparison that I think makes sense, because I completely agree with you is that you can't look at a person and like, I'm taking the sexuality route just because it's easier to explain. Yeah. You can't look at someone and say, based on my religion, I don't believe in same sex marriage but I have a gay friend, so it's okay. At the end of the day, honey, that makes no sense. Because if they're your friend and they're someone that you love and support, you would support them finding true love however they find it, right? So in the same sense that you can't say, like, I use the N-word freely, but I have a black friend, so it's okay. Like, you can't do that. Or you can't look at someone and see the color of their skin and judge them based on that. It's, it's all different, right? It's all separate. And that's what I totally agree. It makes no sense to make that claim that, like, I'm not this because of this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can still be this for a hundred other reasons. And just because you have a black friend doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Literally. Nothing. Yeah, that whole thing about the... Oh, man, that, that makes me so angry. And I just think about it where it's like, there are a lot of people that, that think that way. And like, you see a lot of that where it's like the whole religion and, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, like that's probably a conversation for another day, but like, holy cow, that thing really gets my blood boiling where it's like, <laughs> it's like an easy, clear visual. Exactly. Exactly. So talked about, but yeah. yes, like a hundred percent, not the same, not equating it to be, but right. It, it does help you kind of, I think, see how wrong some mm -hmm. people are when they make that yeah. statement. Um, Andrew, do you have any thoughts? Brennan and I kind of took over there. No, no, I, I love where you guys are going and how you're building out. Like, the, like I like that example to some things. It, some things that it just helps me concretely see it. So I appreciate you doing that. I'm sure our viewers will as well. I think you're hitting on really important topics. And I agree. That's a, uh, a big misconception in our society that we can I, mean, I know i'm just summarizing what you're saying but um yeah. you can say hey uh no i'm not this because i have one x it's just again like brian said like the two things don't equal each other hmm. uh, and it, it's it is not a valid uh, reason uh to defend inappropriate behavior yeah 
Yeah, I just think that whole idea is ridiculous where it's like, you know, I mean, like, I'll just say first off, that person that says something like that is absolutely lying, first of all. Second of all, like, if you're, if, if, if you're friends with someone, like, you are in support of them, like, how, like, how can you not be in support of something, like, if someone's your friend, but then also it's like, how can you not support something that someone literally has no power of? Like, if you say that, oh, I have a black friend, but I can't be, like, or shoot, maybe that's the wrong example. But, like, if I have a friend who's gay, but, like, I don't support them, but it's, like, they don't really, I mean, Brenna, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, you don't really have a choice in that, right? No. <laughs> so it's, like, no. it doesn't really make any sense. No. So. It's definitely, it's definitely an excuse, yeah. I would say. Like, if we're going to put a term on it, that is an excuse for your bad behavior. And I think, I think Andrew, you, you made a really nice way of like, just inappropriate behavior. You can't excuse your bad, inappropriate behavior hmm. because you have one person that meets that description in your life. Like, that, it, it's not the same, like, we've my partner and I have had this discussion before because like we would like to adopt down the line and, and we've talked about like preferences and what we'd want. And I'm like, girl, boy, I don't care race. I don't care. But then we, you know, also kind of had to have the discussion of what about our families? Because I don't want to have someone who I have a child who is a, a person of color and I have someone in my family who is inherently racist I do not want them to interact freely because I don't want my child to know that that's what their family thinks about them. Right. Like that in itself, it's own decision. you can't say I have a black niece. So I'm not racist. I'm, I will not allow my child to be that card for somebody. And I think that that's something that a lot of people would like to use, right? Like as that excuse, as that reason for why they're not something and I refuse to allow my family to be a part of that. So I think that that's just like one layer deeper of like, as a white person, I want to, my mom, you know, is the director of a DCF uh, department of child and family services. Um, I want to foster, I want to adopt. And to me, it doesn't matter what their race is because I genuinely just want to bring happy children into my home and or children into my home and give them a good life. But if you are not here to support my child, you can get the fuck out of it and don't keep their keep their name out of your mouth, you know? And I think that's just like a whole other layer of this. But that to me is something that's important that from any point of view, an excuse is an excuse for a reason and people, you know, can't just use them freely because they're white and can. You know what I mean? Before we kind of get to our last um, segment that I realized we forgot about last last episode um just to go back to that idea of the oh you know i don't i don't support this but you know i have friends that are you know whatever there was a tiktok video that circulated on twitter of this white girl doing like you know a tiktok video and basically said like oh i have gay friends but i just don't support it and if you go back and look at that video and you listen to the song choices that she uses holy cow the hypocrisy is insane that she uses this is america the childish gambino song and it's like whoa do you have no idea what that song is about like dang 
I know the exact video that you're talking about. It's like, geez, you're going to make a video like that. At least do some research. <laughs> Damn. But, like, that's an ignorant white person. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, I mentioned we kind of forgot about this our, our last um, episode, but kind of we like to close each of an episode with uh, one positive thing. <laughs> from the, you know, last week or, you know, last time that we met. So, um, either of you, do you guys have something that, um, that's positive that's happened in the last couple, last, uh, two weeks since, since we last met? Um, I mean, I can go. For me, I am in my house now. I've moved in. I'm, yeah. I'm still, you know, like getting settled in and getting furniture and stuff like that, but it's been really nice. And I think on top of it, I also started finally working again. So this Monday, I was like my first day of like full day of work at the, at the pond. And it was really nice to just, you know, be safe and take those measures, but also like know that I have a paycheck coming in and know that I'm going home and I can work on my house and, you know, it's, it's been a really nice feeling just to have, like, like the settling vibes and things are going back to normal, although they're not. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, so it's mm-hmm. like, let's not forget that. But, um, you know, things need to open for whatever reasons, and, that, and I'm glad that I'm getting a paycheck to pay for the home that I bought. So I will say I'm very grateful for that, and that is a positive thing that I have been able to do. But I will say a little funny story. The other day I got home from work and I got these like corner shelves for my bathroom and I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to do them. And it was like nine o'clock at night because I got, I get home from work at like eight o'clock, eight fifteen, and I started and I messed up and I had already like drilled into the wall and I did the whole thing and I just started crying. <laughs> like, is this what it's like to own a home? <laughs> You don't know how the hormones you. <laughs> so real, and it was just like, like my my poor girlfriend was like, "Okay, let's go to bed," and she like took the hammer out of my hands. It was like, it's time to stop. <laughs> so like, they're good and bad things, but I thought that story was just so funny because when I woke up the next morning and I saw like the little like nails in the wall I started laughing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyway, that's me <laughs> yes that's awesome Gary you got one um yeah um so this is something that Andrew I think I mentioned to you maybe yesterday so um doing um the podcast the not your average Boston sports podcast the sports podcast that I do I um Got, got back to doing it this week and uh, dropped an episode yesterday. Uh, shameless plug, please go listen to it. Because um, there was a lot on that episode, a lot of sports stuff. Um, it was great being able to get back and doing that. And, you know, I'll be honest, the last, you know, couple, month and a half or ho- however long it was um, between episodes, um, I kind of not really sure what went on. I felt like I kind of had a, some you know, mental health issues and just thinking about a lot of different things. Like I had a lot of things that were on my mind 
um, whether they were personal or just kind of other stuff going on. Um, it just was great to be able to get back to that yesterday and realize that here's something that I really like doing and I really love doing. And, you know, I kind of found that love again, doing it yesterday and talking and I went on for like an hour and 20 minutes just cause it was so good to be back. So, um, that was definitely a big positive for me. And I'm hoping that, you know, I can continue to do these now weekly and, you know, sports are coming back, you know, whether, whether, I agree whether they should come back or not. You know, they are coming back and, you know, we'll see. But um, it was great to, great to just get back to that and talking about, you know, stuff that I'm, I'm really passionate about. So that was, that, was, that was wonderful getting back, getting to do that this week. That's awesome, Garrett. One big thing, so I inadvertently, like, I took a, I, I intentionally took a week off work, but just the way the schedules lined up, I got, like, a 10-day chunk where I was not working, um, which I did a bunch of really, really fun things, and this, that, and the third. Very grateful, very grateful. Uh, one thing I did want to share was I've been trying for a long, long time to find uh, ways to meditate and to kind of, like, tap into my body. Uh, outside of like working out and things that I've done for years, but like the very much traditional breathe, feel your body, understand your thoughts, slow yourself down, be very present, go on with your day. And I'm actually starting to have some success with that. Um, doing it once or twice a day, clearing my head, not just like almost falling asleep. Um, and it, it's, I feel so grateful for it. I, didn't think I'd ever be a person that could do it just because I'm a very hyperactive person. Um, and I've just been so grateful for that. And I hope that I can continue doing that. I love that. I've, can I just say, I love that you're doing that. That is like the Andrew that I met, like how long ago to the Andrew that is now like using mindfulness techniques and <laughs> meditating. It's just like so beautiful. I just, I love, I love that so much. And I love also Garrett that you're getting, I saw it that you had posted about your podcast, Garrett Not Your Not Your Apple Sports. I was like, oh my God, I got really excited. This is just two really exciting things. It's an exciting time for the three of us. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> yeah, what the heck's going on? Why are you so mindful now? <laughs> being suspiciously mindful yeah very uh, what's going on gotta wonder what's up with me <laughs> yeah there's definitely an imposter or something it was like the, it was the plants or the buddha that really made me feel like oh my god he's serious <laughs> yes yes <laughs> great stuff well good so i think you know, we'd be back with you guys whenever, you know, if we want to, you know, whatever topic we want to, if we want to tackle, but I'm glad that we could kind of wrap up this kind of two-part conversation. But as I said at the beginning, this is a conversation that I think will continue to happen with other episodes, you know, if we bring in, you know, other people even, or if we just want to continue the conversation, I think that that's very important with, you know, this whole theme. Um that's an ongoing conversation. So I'm glad that we could uh, get back together and do that. And yeah, we'll talk with you guys whenever, if it's next week, two weeks, whatever, uh, we'll get back to you guys. So everyone have a great uh, rest of your week.